listening to the Keef to the City podcast. All right, after getting embarrassed in Boston last weekend with the three-game sweep at the hands of the Red Sox and two of those games, the Yankees held a late lead, couldn't hang on, and, and we're looking at a season we haven't seen in uh, almost 25 years. I was just uh, a very small person back then. I didn't even attended my first Yankees game at the, at the age of four, the last time the Yankees were this bad. And uh, the Red Sox come to town for the first time this season, the first of three times they'll come to Yankee Stadium. The Yankees looking to avenge what happened last uh, last week, try to get this season back on track and, and save things before it gets too much out of hand. And joining me today to talk Yankees-Red Sox is Jared Carabas of uh, Barstool Sports, uh, Barstool Sports Boston, the Barstool Baseball blog. You can uh, catch him there. See him on Comcast Sportsnet New England. If you if you live in the New England area, he's sort of everywhere these days. Jared, how's it going today? What's going on, my friend? <laughs> you know, I I didn't get a chance to, or we didn't get a chance to do this last week, and I guess it's sort of good because um, you know I felt good going into that that series because um, like the Red Sox, like the rest of the AL East, there's just no really superior team. I feel like, and uh, the Yankees had done so well at Fenway the last few years, and. Of course, I go up there to two games. Uh, they lose Friday night. They get blown out Saturday night. And I've had a long list of bad games at Fenway, whether it was the 4 ALCS Game 5, uh, when Sheffield fought the fans, uh, the Ellsbury Steel of Home. Uh, I've seen just about every bad game in Fenway Park the Yankees have had in the last you know 15 years. And I've got two more to add to my list now. Yeah, that was uh, that's quite the bullpen you got there. I heard all about it, and I, I saw it, and it was just completely different from the expectations that I was told to have. <laughs> yeah, and you know, for you guys, I mean, when you look at this AL East, I guess we'll start there before we dive into what happened. But you know, the Yankees really their their issue was going to be the offense, but now it looks like it's just about every aspect of the game. The Red Sox, outside of David Price, have no pitching. The Orioles can't pitch. The Rays can't hit. The Blue Jays uh, have had body pitching so it just seems like there's no real runaway team and as bad as the Yankees have been uh we're doing this on Thursday night I mean there's six games out they they really should have just been buried by now maybe in any other year except for this year or last year yeah I mean I think that when it comes to the Red Sox everyone like the, the popular thing to say is that the Red Sox have no pitching outside of David Price but the reality is that David Price stinks and <laughs> Stephen Wright is really good like yeah, I think he has like the second or third lowest ERA in the, in the American League. And then you have Rick Porcello, who's been great. Um, Clay Buckholz actually won a game last night. That was nice to see. And Joe Kelly's on the DL, but then you have Eduardo Rodriguez coming back. So there's reason to be hopeful if you're a Red Sox fan. The Yankees, like, there's no one coming. Like, there's nobody to come save your season right now. But I, I look at, like, right now, a half game separates the Red Sox and the Orioles. Um, but I personally think that the Red Sox are not substantially, but notably better than the Orioles. And they have been this year. I look at like the run differential, the Red Sox are plus 22, the Orioles are plus 12. So a half game separates them, but to this point, the Red Sox have been the better team overall. Uh, and then you have your last place Yankees who are negative <laughs> 27 in run differential this year. 
Yeah, it's been pretty ugly. And, uh, you know, when they started out winning that first series against the Astros after they lost opening day, and then they're 4-2 and two after they win the, the opener in Toronto when they were up there. And you're at 4-2, and two, you're like, all right. Think, because usually the Yankees, they are like, you know, 11-11 and 11 or 12-12, 12 and 12, and then that's when they really start to separate themselves. But I just was waiting for that. You know, they were, you know, then they're five and six, five and seven, five and eight. And you're like, all right, well, one of these, one of these days they're going to sweep one of these teams, but they just kept getting swept themselves, kept losing series. Uh, they have a chance to beat Baltimore on, uh, on Thursday night in Baltimore to win just their third series of the season. And, um, it's, it's a long climb back to 500. And really, when you think about it, unless you go on one of these crazy runs, like, you know, a nine game winning streak or 10 game winning streak or, you know, 16 out of 18, something like that. It could take you, you know, a good two months to climb out of a, a seven or eight game deficit under five hundred. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you guys have dug yourself quite the hole here. I mean, six games back is not—it's uh, not an insurmountable lead. I mean, I, we, I think the Red Sox last year, even with a terrible team that they had, I think that they went from maybe ten and a half to. Uh, having the chance to get to two and a half, I think, or they got to two and a half or something like that. Um, so it's not insurmountable, but I, like you said, I would pay way closer attention to the number of games under 500 versus the number of games back from first place. And right now, what are they, seven games under 500? They are, yes, nine and 16. Yeah. Yeah, so the sleeping giant right now in the American League East is the team that everyone picked to win the division going into the season, and that's the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they're 14 and 15, I think. So they're a game under 500, but they're only three games back at first. And the thing about the Blue Jays is, I think last year, their run differential was insane. They were like plus 220-something, and the next best team, I think, was the Astros, and they were like 111, plus 111. So they were substantially better than everybody else. And this year, they're plus four, and that's because their offense has been terrible. Like, Batiste is having a slow start, and Canacion's having a slow start. Tulisky's kind of been garbage ever since he showed up to Toronto. Uh, pretty much only Donaldson is the bat that's getting them going, but the pitching's been good. So you got to figure that those big bats, in Toronto's lineup are going to wake up at some point. And when they do, that's kind of what I'm worried about the Red Sox and their, their lead in first place here. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's weird about this Yankees team is the last few years, it's sort of been like, what happened with the 2013 Red Sox where everything went right and they ended up winning the whole thing, you know, one huge parlay. And I've sort of the last few years, the way the Yankees have been built, you're thinking, okay, if everything goes right, you know, they can contend, they can be there. But you never really think about, well, what if everything goes wrong? And that's sort of what happened this year where not one person can hit, no one can pitch, uh, the bullpen imploded in Boston. And it's sort of like the complete opposite where you're hoping, you know, okay, this guy produces, you know, he gives you an above average year, but everybody's going cold at the same time. The pitching went bad right away from the start of the season. And while that started to come around, the offense still isn't there. So I guess what that's what scares me the most is the idea that, you know, maybe it's just one of those years where everybody sucks. Yeah, I mean, like, you'd know better than me, but coming to the season, is, are you surprised by the start or is this something that you saw coming? Um, you know, I, I'm sort of... Uh, 
I, I don't know if I was surprised, I guess because of what they did last year and the way they got out to such a big lead and they had, you know, a 10 game lead in the, in the AL East before they blew that after the trade deadline to their Blue Jays, uh, following their crazy moves. But I, I don't think I was surprised by this because really after the deadline last year, for the last two months of the season, the Yankees started to show their age. They were banged up. They limped to the finish line. They didn't actually clinch the wild card berth until the second to last day of the season. Um, and they were an under 500 team for more than two months. So uh, had they not gone out to such a big lead and, and you know had huge winning streaks in May and June, they would have never been there in October. So really this has just been a continuation of that. You know They're old. They're waiting for these uh, few contracts to come off the books both at the end of this season and next season but while you thought you know they'd be there you didn't think they'd be this bad and and while we're still crazy early you know one month out of six gone but uh it's it's scary because all the guys who who aged who really were productive for the first half of the last season uh just aren't good right now and the pitching hasn't been there outside of Tanaka Batances was awesome until Boston Miller's been great but really there's only been like three or four bright lights on this team I also found it interesting that the Yankees are the only team that didn't sign a free agent in the offseason. I mean, I kind of looked at that as like, all right, yeah, you added Chapman, but your strength was already your, your bullpen. So all you did was make your bullpen better when it was already great, and you didn't address any of the other areas that you needed to upgrade uh, based on last year's production too. So, yeah, I mean, and then like the, what they got last year, they kind of got lucky there with Teixeira staying healthy and actually being productive at the same time and then getting that random incredible season out of A-Rod after taking an entire year off. I don't think that anyone like factored that in when they were building the 2015 team either. So uh, I think that they made a mistake um, kind of banking on those things happening again and then that's that's been their fatal flaw, I guess, to this point. I mean, they haven't played well on the road either. They're like five games under 500 on the road. I think I'm under 500 at Yankee Stadium too. Yeah, I think they're uh, what are they? They're 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 a few games under. I, I I forgot what it was, but yeah, they're five under there. So then they're at least two, you know, uh, or four games under at home. So where that's usually where they clean up, and you know, they always pick up you know 48, 50 wins at home. So hopefully, there's a hot stretch coming now because. They head home to face Boston. They've got the White Sox that you guys just played. Um, they've got Kansas City before that series, so some tough games, and it's not going to get easier. And really, their easy stretch was early on when they had Seattle and Oakland, and they lost 5-6 of six to those, both of those teams, which was just embarrassing. Uh, but, yeah, you, you make good points there that they didn't go out and fill in their needs, and I think really it's because they couldn't because when you go around the, you know, the field, you've got Gardner in left who's got a few years left, Ellsbury in center, the worst uh, free agent signing in the history of the Yankees. Uh, Beltran comes off at the end of this year. Teixeira comes off at the end of this year. They traded for Castro, which was a nice upgrade. Uh, Didi's there for a few more years. Headley's there for this year and two more, which was another disaster. And then McCann still got a couple years left. So even if they went out and signed someone, it was sort of like they didn't have any place to put them. Um, and really, you'll go back to the moves they made you know, the last couple years, especially Headley, who just... Made no sense. I mean, I granted they didn't have a third baseman at the time, but they traded you know you know, uh, you know Solarte for him, and that guy's making the league minimum, and now you're paying Headley thirteen million to do a, not even the same job, but a worse job. And I turn to you because you've got a third base situation with Pablo Sandoval, who they didn't want to play him. They put him on a be- the bench. He goes on the DL. Now he's out with a season-ending surgery, which just seems really sketchy and mysterious. And I'm wondering, maybe we can get uh, Chase Headley some season-ending surgery. 
Well, I mean, the thing about the Sandoval situation is that uh, that had to have been a pre-existing injury. It just it reeks of um, that they forced it. I feel like it was one of those things where it, it, it has been there for a while. I bet if you look at every player in Major League Baseball, they probably have the same or similar to kind of uh, damage to their shoulder just from wear and tear. And they probably said, hey, you know, you're you're not going to get any playing time this year. You know, you're not a guy that's going to be able to come off the bench. You're not a defensive replacement. You can't pinch run for anybody. Um, giving you an at-bat after you've been sitting on the bench all night is useless. So I it could be one of those things where, yeah, might as well get surgery because you're not going to be doing anything else. And it kind of gets rid of the story. It gets rid of the distraction. Um, I, I feel like the Red Sox are kind of stuck with this guy, unfortunately, but at least the surgery buys them some time for having to deal with that mess until next year. Yeah, and it, I mean, it just seems like the Red Sox always get lucky when they sign these colossal disaster deals. You know, they get Gonzalez and Beckett shipped to the uh, Dodgers and, and Crawford and save money there. Sandoval, they owe $95 million to, and they don't really care about paying it, but now they don't have to worry about you know him being uh, an issue or, or getting the attention of the media for sitting on the bench and making so much money. It just seems like things always work out for them in their Albatross contracts. Yeah, but I, I feel like... They've, they've gotten lucky. There's no exact science to ridding yourself from a terrible contract. And luckily, you know, they they, kind of, they got lucky with the Dodgers there with Crawford. I thought that they were going to be stuck with him forever. Um, they dodged the bullet with Ellsbury. You know, you guys suck for that. Uh, that decision. <laughs> but when it comes to Sandoval, so at least when they traded Crawford, I, I, he had already – he had gotten surgery. When he got traded, he was recovering from the surgery. Um, so it's kind of similar in that sense, but at least Crawford was an athlete. At least they had, the Dodgers had the idea in mind of once this guy heals, you know, we could get uh, the player that he was in Tampa when he was an all-star and, you know, maybe change the scenery because he obviously hates Boston. So with Sandoval, it's like, okay, this guy has a, an eating problem. Um, he's out of shape. His contract sucks. Even last year when he was healthy, he had the worst year of his career. So a lot of teams that are going to be looking at Sandoval in spring of 2017, or who knows, maybe they move him on the offseason to get lucky. I have no idea. But anyone that's going to be slightly interested in acquiring him, it's not exactly the same as Kyle Crawford, because at least there was some upside there. But Sandoval, it's like, why would anybody want this guy? <laughs> well, I feel like with your lineup, at least, you know, there's not really anyone outside of Sandoval, maybe Hanley at times, but I feel like Boston fans do like Hanley. But it, there's no one, like, fans don't like or hate or, or just don't want to see on the team. It seems like you either have homegrown players or likable guys outside of maybe a few people in the rotation. But for the Yankees, I mean, everyone hates Headley. No one likes Ellsbury. You know, people are sick of Teixeira because of, you know, his postseason failures and how many games he's missed over the last few years. Um, A-Rod has sort of become the, the most likable guy on the team after a decade of sort of a love-hate relationship with the fans. And there just seems to be a lot of players on the Yankees that Yankees fans don't like, but it doesn't go the other way in the same way in Boston. Yeah, even I like A-Rod now. Like, I, I <laughs> That's got a crazy. lot of flack for that. When, I, um, when you tweeted out that picture of the Cheers sign welcoming Yankee fans, yeah. 
I, I blogged that picture and I did a whole story about how the rivalry's dead and how it's been dead for years. And um, I talked about how A-Rod hit that home run and gave his bat to the little kid who lost his father. And I was like, you know, back in 2003, I, I could literally murder Aaron Boone. Like, I wanted him dead. It wasn't just beyond baseball. Like, I wanted him dead. And then, like, if I'm looking at the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry now, who, do, who am I supposed to hate on the Yankees? Is it A-Rod? Because I like that guy. Like his postseason coverage last uh, October, I thought he was great. I, I thought he came across as very likable, very informative. Um, I mean, we know what kind of person he is because, of, you know, we have plenty of examples of that. But uh, at least it's how he came across. And I think that he came across as um, a likable guy. And, and the fact that uh, I, I was... I don't know if upset is the right word, but I was bothered by the fact that A-Rod didn't make the all-star team last year. Like, I felt like he deserved it, and I felt like he probably was getting blackballed a little bit by the league because they didn't want that to be a story for the all-star game about how... Because, I mean, you can't say, oh, he overcame the adversity because he got it suspended for being connected to the biogenesis steroid <laughs> HGH scandal. I mean, like, they can't be like, oh, yeah, A-Rod, he's 39 years old, and he's, he's making the all-star team, and he's overcoming all this adversity. Oh, well, what was the adversity? It was a huge PED scandal. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I can see where you're coming from in that sense, but um, what would you say is the number one area of need uh, that the Yankees have to address right now? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where to start. I get, you know, the the rotation. Uh, I I feel like it can be and will and will be better than it has been. Um, and it, it has the potential to be the best in the division. But the bullpen, I'm not really worried about. You know, Batances, you know, puts a few first pitch fastballs down the middle. That's going to happen. Um, and and really, it's the offense. I mean, the offense. When you when the Yankees, you know, if they're down one nothing or two nothing, it feels insurmountable. Last night they scored seven runs, and uh, you know, in the eighth or seventh inning they've scored four of them. And I'm, you know, they're hoping that they'll hold off and save some for the next day because they could easily get shut out on Thursday night in Baltimore. Uh, so I think it's the offense, and I don't really know what you do about that because you can't make a guy hit. Uh, it's just a matter of you know they have too much. They're too left-handed heavy and. They're built like that because of Yankee Stadium, but it's not just left-handed heavy. It's left-handed heavy hitters that are too stubborn to, you know, try to go the other way or beat the shift. Uh, they're so focused on hitting a home run every at bat, and if I have to watch, you know, Carlos Beltran and Teixeira and McCann try to pull an outside pitch and roll over to second anymore, I'm just gonna, you know, jump out the window. And I, I just feel like, you know, they've sort of built this team that's. You know, station to station, there's no real speed outside of Ellsbury and Gardner, and they always seem to be hot or cold at the same time, and they're really the same player, just one of them happens to make $153 million, and uh, it's just a matter of, you know, getting younger and, and, and getting guys that can do more than just hit the ball out of the ballpark once a week. Yeah, so the question that I have for you is, I know that it's early, and I, what was it, 2005, that everyone keeps fighting that Yankee team that kind yeah. of started off with most of this one, and they ended up winning the division. Um, I don't get that 2005 vibe from this Yankee team. So it makes sense, but as a Yankee fan, have you already accepted the fact that there's no way they're going to even sniff the playoff this year? Um, no, only because the – Baseball's so screwed up now with the five-team playoff format that 
the Yankees in 2013 and 14 were bad, and they didn't get off to a start like this. They actually got off to really good starts despite having like Ichiro, Vernon Wells, and Lyle Overbay being their three, four, five hitters. But the, the the way baseball is now, you have to really like tank, like as bad as the Braves are going to, to be out of the mix for at least even a wild card spot because those two Yankee teams they weren't eliminated until game 159. So they played, you know, three form, three meaningless games of the whole season. So it takes a really, really bad team. And for as bad as they've been, I think they'll, you know, uh, you know get better over time and, and things can't possibly stay the way they have been because they're not as bad as, you know, like the Braves look or the Twins or, um, you know, even the Padres who have gotten somewhat hot. But I don't know that... You know, I never really thought they were going to be a World Series contender this year, but to get back in the mix and to to vie or contend for at least a wild card spot, I think is very feasible. Because like we saw last year, I mean, when they had a ten game last year, I thought there'd be no way they weren't going to win the division, and then they collapsed and ended up being a wild card team. So things can change very quickly, and you know, they go have a good weekend against the Red Sox this weekend, and that and that six games is suddenly you know three or you know it's things things just change, and I feel like. It's too early to write them off because I've written teams off in the past, whether it's the Red Sox in the past before they've had a lengthy winning streak or the Blue Jays last year. And uh, I don't know. It's just way too early for that. Maybe Memorial Day is when I think I'd get serious about giving up on them. <laughs> Memorial Day is usually a good indicator for the, if you can make a decision on the team season or not. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. Um, because I've been there for the last two years with the Red Sox finishing in last place. Like, it's it, you're right. It is too long of a season, and it is still early. And they are only six games back, despite you know being seven games under 500. But I just I don't know. I, I feel much differently about this Yankee team than I did about the Red Sox team a year ago. I feel like uh, I feel like. The Red Sox team last year that finished in last place, their pitching was just so bad that it was impossible to to overcome the the deficit in the division and compete with all the other teams that were vying for a wild card spot. But the Red Sox finished in fourth in the majors last year in run scored. Like that's why there was kind of some hope because like the lineup was so good and the pitching just sucked. But with the Yankees. It's not like it's not like they're scoring a ton of runs, but like their pitching sucks, and it's not like you know their pitching sucks and vice versa. You know what I mean? But yeah, I just feel like besides the bullpen, the Yankees aren't really good at anything. No, I agree, and I think what's even weirder is sort of like the anomaly you talked about, where Teixeira and Aaron rebounded and had you know seasons they had had in six and seven years, and I think you look at the Yankees last year and they finished second in runs after the Blue Jays, and now they're last. And it's sort of, you know, granted they're not going to stay last for the entire season, but we've sort of seen in a, you know, a two, three week sample over the last couple of weeks of what this team can be when, when the guys who are old aren't producing. And, you know, I, I like, I, outside of the bullpen, I do agree. I don't think they're, they're doing good at anything. And, uh, you know, Tanaka has been good. Pineda's has been hot and cold. You know, he always has that. He's sort of like our Buckholz where he has that one bad inning where he'll have, you know, scoreless in the fourth and then the fifth he gives up four runs uh Baldy, i hate you know he stinks he's a hundred guy throws a hundred and can't strike anyone out um severino is you know he's only made 14 15 starts in his majors now so there's obviously going to be 
uh, hiccups along the way. And then CeCe, who is throwing, you know, 86 miles an hour. And while he had seven shutout innings on Wednesday night, I don't think you're going to count on him for that every time out. So the rotation is sort of pieced together. But, you know, if they're going to – the problem with the Yankees is that, you know, the Red Sox, they've had three out of four – last place losing seasons in the last four years and they really should have been you know four if not everything goes right in 2013 I think that's the anomaly for them but you look at them and and they were willing to give up and trade away things for the future but the Yankees ownership isn't going to do that they're not going to you know you know they're not they're too worried about ticket sales and and the now factor that they're never going to get rid of pieces even though you know they'll be contenders if they suck that will want Beltron or want to share because they're expiring contracts um but with the Mets across town doing well and worry about ticket sales and attendance they're never going to do that and that's what's going to hurt them and that's sort of what hurt them this year is because they they overachieved so much last year that I think they sort of uh disguised all their issues and now we're seeing them this year yeah it's you know, I feel like they are who you thought they were, and that's <laughs> for you. <laughs> well, for you, you know, your big off-season thing was David Price, and you uh, sort of campaigned for him, and now I see, you know, guys always tweeting at each other like your buddies, and um, the Yankees, they, you know, they've never had a problem with David Price. They didn't have one in his first start as a member of the Red Sox. Um, the only time they really never hit him was when they joined when he joined the Blue Jays, of course, when he sort of went on the best run of his career. Um, and and really, he's never scared me. Um, but if I were you, you know, you're talking from someone who's been through a few last place seasons now as someone who's currently in last place. I'm going to talk to you as a guy who watched the Yankees give CeCe his crazy deal. And, uh, you know, some people will say he earned it in his first season because uh, he led them to the World Series. But that extension after he opted out was, you know, an awful decision in hindsight and the, and the Red Sox sort of made the same move right away with David Price um, for even more money than CC ever got. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with Sabathia's original like 2009 free agent deal. It was the opt-out and the extension. It was the second deal that they really dropped the ball. They should have just let him go after he opted out. Um, but yeah, I'm not like people that are freaking out about David Price. Like they just haven't watched enough baseball. That guy stinks in April. It's his worst month. Um, he had his one start in May was against your Yankees. But uh, I I did the baseball show on Comcast that day. We did the pregame show, so it probably only got worse. Um, and it was freezing. Like I was shivering. And then we were we were out on uh, kind of like we were at a bar that they have a roof deck, but they have like a retractable kind of roof thing. So we were covered, so we weren't affected by the rain. But we had all the sliders open because they wouldn't let us uh, close the sliders because the lights reflect off the glass. So we had to open that. It was freezing out. Like I I pitched in high school and a little bit after high school in some like independent league. So I pitched hundred amp. A good amount of games in my life. And growing up in New England, you know, I'm familiar with pitching in the rain and in the cold. And it's not fun. It's not easy. And that's what it was that night. It was like 40-something degrees out. It was raw. It was rainy. And who went that night? Is um, Evaldi? Yeah, he sucks. So his his, yeah, his so outing like, was expected. Yeah, like, I, no, and then Batantis, too. Like, he, you know, he gives up the home runs to basket. So it was a tough night to pitch. I know that David Price is not going to come out and blame the weather, so that's why I can do it for him, because I was there and it sucked. So, yeah, I mean, I, the point is, David Price is going to get better. I mean, he always starts off slow, 
He gets stronger as the year goes along. And I understand that Red Sox fans don't have the time and the patience to wait for that because, you know, not only do you have three last place finishes in four years, but it's the money. You know, it's a, here we go again with giving a boatload of money to a free agent and then they show up in Boston and they're not performing. Like, we've been down this road before in terms of uh, underperformance by the team. We've been down this road before by underperformance by a, a high-paid free agent. So um, I think that Red Sox fans are just kind of fed up with both of those things, which I totally get. I understand. But a rational, logically thinking fan would say, okay, like, this is disappointing, but I know what kind of pitcher David Price is. And then you have these idiot Red Sox fans that are in my mentions whenever David Price has a stinker. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, he's, he's just as good as Clay Buckle. It's like, no. If you look at Clay Buckle's career, he's always been this wishy-washy kind of pitcher. David Price, on the other hand, is a perennial Cy Young candidate, and it's not like he just forgot how to pitch once he signed with the Red Sox. Like, he'll be fine. Every player, when they change teams, has an adjustment period. He's in his. April's always been his worst month. He'll be fine, and, and I think that once he hits his stride, like, I, I can't wait for that because you're never going to hear another bad word about the guy again until next year when he sucks in April again. I used to hate because I always felt like Josh Beckett when he was on the Red Sox would get, you know, he would just find his way to get a no decision in a game he sucked. And Price has already had three of Well, he, the, the Baltimore start five, five runs in five innings. He got a no decision. Eight runs in three and two thirds against the Rays, no decision. And then he gets a win on Sunday night baseball against the Yankees with six runs in seven innings. So he's four and oh. Um, obviously that doesn't tell the whole story in his 614 ERA does, but I feel like he always, he's going to be like Beckett where he always gets off the hook for these shitty outings. I looked at, uh, what night was it? Tuesday. All right. So I don't know if it's updated, but as of Tuesday night, David Price has the highest, uh, run support of any starter in the American league. So <laughs> take that for what you want. I mean, they, he's four and but he's, he's the worst pitcher on the Red Sox staff right now. Um, which it says more about the wins and losses total than it does about David Price. I think that, uh, you know, like Rick Porcello is 5-0 and right now, but he's earned that 5-0. and But here you have David Price who has an ERA probably like three or four runs higher than Rick Porcello, and he's 4-0. and Yeah, and I feel like that was the case with Evaldi last year because, you know, the guy's going out there three runs, five innings every time, and then they'd win, and he'd get the win, and he ended up, uh, being 14 and three, but a 4.20 ERA, and he was getting 5.75 5 runs per game. So people are always talking about, oh, he's a winner, and he knows how to grind out a win. It's like, no, he doesn't. They just they just scored when he pitched. He he's awful. He stinks. Like we saw who Nathan Evaldi is on Sunday Night Baseball, where the guy just just couldn't hold a lead every single time he got one. But um, for you guys, I know there's a lot of talk with John Farrell um, being on the hot seat and. It's weird. I mean, I never understood why they got rid of Francona when they did, and then they bring in the Bobby Bobby V for that one year disaster. But they made such a big deal about going out and getting Farrell, and then they had to trade to get him to Boston. And now people don't want him there. And and you know, I from what I see, you know, I, I pretty much am in tune with all the teams in the league, and the, the decisions he makes, both you know from a rotation or lineup you know perspective or in game decisions. Uh, I don't know why the Red Sox were ever so gung-ho about getting him, and I certainly can understand why, even though he won the World Series a few years ago, why he's on the hot seat, because some of the moves he makes, you know, both before and in-game are just, they, they blow my mind, and they're things that, while I, you know, get on Joe Girardi for, 
for you know some matchup decisions. There are things he would never even dream about doing. Yeah, it, it is kind of strange. Uh, I was super excited when they did get John Farrell. Um, I remember when they hired Bobby V that John Farrell was even being talked about then, but I think, I don't know, there was like an issue with the Blue Jays where it was just not realistic. And, um, yeah, like the thing about Farrell is that when he was with the Red Sox, they, he was their pitching coach and they had some of the greatest, not greatest, but I mean, they had really good pitching staff when he was there and pitching was the issue in 2012. And everyone figured, Oh yeah, we'll get John Farrell and he'll, you know, write the ship with all the pitchers. And he kind of did. I mean, when he came here in 2013, Lester was coming off the worst year of his career. Lackey had been terrible since he signed here, and he was coming off the Tommy John surgery. So he kind of took those two guys, and they were great in 2013. I mean, like, Lester had a pickup in 2013, but they don't win that World Series without Lester. I mean, he was great. He's, he's always been great in the postseason up until he left Boston. Um, but then, I don't know, it, it's just, I think that he kind of got exposed a little bit here in Boston because the you know the lights are brighter than they are in Toronto, and especially that back then when no one really cared about the Blue Jays. Uh, but there's been plenty of instances this season where I've had to scratch my head at some decision making that John Farrell has made either prior to the game, is in you know matchups or uh, how he he was pinch hitting Travis Shaw against lefties, and then the first lefty that they faced, like, lefty starter-wise, uh, he had Travis Shaw batting cleanup. So, I don't know. It, it's just some of these, like, inconsistencies that he's had along the way. Um, I was definitely more on board with the Fire Farrell thing maybe in the first two, three weeks of the season, and it's kind of cooled off a little bit because, you know, they're in first place at Hockey Fire, your manager, in first place. That doesn't mean that he's doing a better job. I mean, I'm, I've definitely criticized him a lot less, but at the same time, I, I do think that they would be better under, you know, Tori Lavulo, who took over for Farrell last August on the interim basis. But, um, yeah, it, it's, you know, I also am of the belief that managers only have so much of an impact in the first place. Like, I, I, I'm more critical of his, uh, bullpen management than anything else. Like that, that's where you can actually cost your team a game is your bullpen management. So, which he's not good at. And that's why <laughs> I'd like to have, uh, a better decision maker in the dugout. I mean, you know, that's really, uh, that's, that's the point where a lot of games can be won or lost when it comes down to the bullpen. So who knows? Who knows what happens? It sounds like it's going to be a while, if ever, that they that they let this guy go now that the Red Sox in first place. <laughs> I always wondered how, you know, I'd watch baseball or care about it once Derek Jeter retired because he was, you know, sort of the last link to, to my childhood as, as a baseball fan. And when he left and Pettit and Posada and Rivera and Bernie Williams, it was sort of like all the guys you grew up watching are gone. And now... Really, the last link is A-Rod and David Ortiz to this rivalry because when A-Rod leaves after next year, Ortiz leaves after this year, there's no more connection to, you know, the, the early 2000s, mid-2000s, even, you know, as far as five years ago, a part of this rivalry. And there's no one really that you'll look at in it that's really going to ignite it or get it going again. And it seems like we need someone to, you know, David Price or someone's just got to throw at someone's head this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I bet you want that to happen. We're perfectly fine with a nice calm series just sweeping your ass 
and <laughs> moving on to the next city. Uh, we don't want to wake up the Yankees, but uh, yeah, I think now it's, it's, I don't know. I feel like David Price, David Price is more worried about going out there and, you know, ter- I mean, he hasn't even won over Red Sox fans yet, so maybe he does do something like that, you know? Because he's not winning them over with his performances uh, <laughs> to this point. It's been a mixed bag, though. That's one thing that I will say is that the narrative around David Price to this point has been that he's just sucked, and that's not true. I mean, he's had three really bad starts. He's had three really good starts. You know, the, the ERA in his good starts is like two and a half, and he's got like 33 strikeouts in 20-something innings or something like that. So he's he dominated at times. But obviously, when you're talking about the type of money that he's got, it's the bad stocks are going to stick out more. But in terms of like the rivalry, like there's no one on that Yankee team right now that could piss me off the way that A Rod did in 2004 or Aaron Boone did in 2003. I mean, obviously, that has the, the playoff element has to be there for the Aaron Boone factor. But in terms of superstar talent, like which guy is going to rub me the wrong way for being so good that it pisses me off. The Yankees don't have that guy. And until David Price shows up and starts to be David Price, the Red Sox really don't have that guy either outside of David Ortiz. And I think that Yankee fans at this point are just like, you know, they're overhating Ortiz. They just accept that he's going to kick their ass every single time that he plays against them. All right, Jared. Well, after this series this weekend, the Yankees and Red Sox don't play again until the first series after the All-Star game of mid-July at Yankee Stadium. So by then, either you know the Yankees are back in and things are right and my summer has been saved, or for the first time really in my life, because like I said, the last time this was was 91 when they were really out of it, 93, they were you know getting better, and then they made the, they would have won, made the playoffs in 94 if not for the strike. So it's been over 20 years since they were, have been this bad or projected to be this bad. So if things aren't going well, then we, I'll just, you know, our podcast will be, you could just tell me, you know, what you did in the, the last three out of four years to get through your summer, and hopefully I can, uh, you know, maybe you have some Netflix suggestions for me or something. <laughs> yeah, definitely rewatch Breaking Bad if you haven't already. I have watched it three times. <laughs> All right, Jerry, thanks again for coming on, and uh, let's hope for a Yankee sweep. We'll get back in this thing this weekend. Yeah, probably not going to happen, though. No. <laughs> All right, thanks again. Anytime.